You're listening to Straight Talk with Trevor. Wait, Daddy, are you making any money off of this? Uh, nah. So I go, I get, by the time I get there, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty roaring by the time I get there. I got this idea and I want, I don't want to wait till in the morning. So I lay it out to Klondike on the street. Out in the parking lot, on the street, get on my knees and get him on my knees with a flashlight and show him I want this built. And I've got the okay from Jimmy Crockett and Crockett Promotions. He's standing right over there, so you can build this thing. He said, well, where does he go? I said, it's going to hang above the ring and it's going to drop down. He thought I was completely nuts, you know what I mean, at the time. Really just, they would set the cage up for regular cage matches. It would take an hour to watch them. You would be in the back. And they would, you know, it wasn't dropped from the ceiling, you know. Uh, you know, they, they brought it in side by side at a time, and they set it up, and they tied it together, and there it was. This thing was going to be dropped with a top on it covering two rings, okay, with two doors on each, on each end. And old Klondike, uh, he worked on it like a mad scientist, you know what I mean? I could see him with that thing flipped down, welding as it started to come to life. You know what I mean? So, and there it was. Uh, you know, it was an event. It was an event for me to watch it come to life. It was almost like, it's like anybody that, that creates anything, I think, once they see it, once you feel it, once, once it's been yours or once you've touched it and you watch it and you sit back and you see it come to life, it's, it's amazing. It's like babies being born. Nothing is more amazing than that, obviously, but not comparing babies to war games. But... It, it's it's just something that comes over you to where for that second, it uh, it takes your breath away, man. It's just like wow. What's up, Straight Talk Society? This is your host Trevor, and I am back with another episode of Straight Talk with Trevor, the podcast where no topic is off limits. And you've just heard the wonderful voice of my top one of my top five favorite wrestlers of all time the american dream dusty Rhodes, and in that short clip he was discussing um creating war games and that's what tonight's show is going to be about um the straight talk about wrestling show that i did with van cat a couple of months ago um ended up being so popular <laughs> that we decided to do a couple of more shows. Um, about a month ago, I want to say probably less than a month ago, um, the wrestling god, Triple H, announced that they were going to bring the War Games concept back, um, not only to um, WWE, but to the main roster, which um, for years... Ever since his inception, Vince McMahon has always turned his nose at it and said how, you know, terrible it was and blah, blah, blah. But Triple H being a real, a true wrestling historian was like, nah, I'm in charge now. We're going to bring that shit to the main roster. They've done variations of it in NXT, which those matches have been tremendous. Um, so I'm interested to see what this version is going to be like on the main roster under Triple H's um, watch because 
he's been batting 100 for me so far since he's taken control. So we'll see what um we'll see what that brings. So tonight we're going to review my favorite war games match of all time. And that's the 1992 WCW War Games. I'm not going to go at it alone. Let me um let me get my guess. Let's see. See is he ready? You know how we do this. I like to call him right on air. Hello? Hey. What's going on? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, I got to let you know I am recording. Okay. You ready? Oh, yeah. Always. (laughs) So... On the phone, you guys know that voice, uh, my partner Van Cat, because I can't do a show like this by myself. So I enlisted his help, seeing that he is the, I'll say that he's the, 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 the true WCW fan. Whereas with me, I like both of them. He just is WCW till he dies. So 100. <laughs> All right. So like I was explaining, um, the God of Wrestling, Triple H, <clears throat> decided so they've, I think about, I think back in 2017, they, he bought the rights to the name War Games from MLW, something around there. And he brought the concept back to NXT and they've had a couple of War Games matches, which have been tremendous. But yes. the old man, Vincent Mann, he, he hated the idea. It's like, he's like, no, War Games, his first gripe about it, um, outside of the blood, is that it takes up two, it takes two rings. Yes. So him being the money grubbing guy that he is, he's like, well, those are seats that I could sell. And <laughs> and as a businessman, I could be like, well, you know what? He knows what he's talking about. But, but War Games is just so, so tremendous. So um, less than a month ago, um, news broke on Twitter. I think it was from Busted Open Radio that Triple H said that he's bringing War Games to the main roster. And mm-hmm. as a War Games fan, I'm like, oh, crap. And it just makes sense because now you have the Bloodline storyline so you can get five other guys a feud against them, and it makes perfect sense. And they're going to do it at Survivor Series. Which is, that that alone makes a lot of sense. Survivor Series where, you know, War Games, Survivor Series, it sounds like it's a great pairing. So and 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 I, I know you don't watch WWE, but um, the Bloodline is the hottest thing going to wrestling now. So yeah. they're gonna have to get five faces that I mean can really stand up against them to make this match great. So I called Venkat and we decided we we're like, you know, because I mean, War Games you could pick any one, not any of the later ones that they did in like late two thousands, but. You could pick any of the earlier ones. And I was like, boy, you know what my favorite war games was? Was 1992, um, Sting Squadron against the Dangerous Alliance. You're not the only one that feels that way. A lot of, <laughs> yeah. people, a lot of people say that's the one. And you know what's, you know what's funny, though? Because I've, I've, and I've seen it. Um, Dustin Rhodes posted on Twitter the other day, and he was like, oh, you guys can ask me anything. He didn't respond to me, but he was getting a lot of... Um, he was getting a lot of responses about it. People were asking yeah. them about the 92 war games. 
Right. So it just it was like, man, yeah, I'm on the right track. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna we're gonna review that. We're not the whole show. We're not gonna review the whole show. Um we're just gonna review the match because the match in itself has so much going on that oh, yeah. it, it would take up it would take up too much time to um Hold on one one second. We're we're live. I had to edit this part out, but one second. What's up? My EVPs walking in the room, so so we're <laughs> <laughs> so so we're gonna we're gonna go over the um. You know, I might leave that in. We're gonna, <laughs> just like like Jim Ross said, we're live, pal. Um, so we're, we're going to go over the 92 war games match. And I don't know, I took a ton of notes. Like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how you want to do this, but we're just going to let it ride. So let's, let's get started. So first of all, it took place, um, 1992 at the Memorial Coliseum in Jacksonville, Florida. And your announcers were Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura. All right. So first of all, before we even start, what what's your what's your um what's your overall thoughts on war games? Well, war games uh is the ultimate match in wrestling. Um there's no match quite like war games. It's a nine it it started in nineteen eighty seven and was the brainchild of uh the American dream Dusty Rhodes, uh R.I.P. to him. He just had so many great contributions to wrestling and that's one of the legacy uh, matches that he created. Um, War Games, um, the, just the structure of how it's set up. You got two guys that starts it off in two rings. And for the first five minutes, they go head to head. And then every two minutes from that point, you get a new person in. They, they got to take a coin flip to see who gets the advantage. And um, from there, it's just one after the next, every two minutes alternating and what that does is it gives one team the opportunity to have the advantage. And then usually in that period of time, that's when you start seeing a lot of the damage, a lot of the injuries and, and um, things that happen in the match early that, that sets up uh, what comes up in the end, which is the, um, the, the, the um, match beyond portion of it where it's submission or surrender. And the concept was just so cool to me the first time I found out about it. At that time, early on, I was, you know, more WWF slash WWE um, just because I just didn't know. Uh, I didn't fully understand the NWA and WCW at that time. And once I found out about it, I remember going to Blockbuster Video, finding that, that first um, War Games from the Great American Bash 1987, when I popped that tape and I watched it, I was just blown away. Um, you know, from the introduction, um, the ring announcer kind of like changed his voice and made himself sound so dark. Let the war games begin. <laughs> Some people might think that's corny, but it gave chills because the arena, the, they took the lights out. The lights went out. Then you had uh, certain lighting in the areas, and then he said that, and then Ric Flair's music came on, and they walked that out, and then you saw that cage. Oh, man, the whole setup, it was, like, so spectacular. It was a spectacle, and that's something I wasn't used to watching WWF. You just usually see a guy walk to the ring with their music, and that was it. 
in the war games, there was pyrotechnic, pyrotechnics and, you know, all that um, stuff going off. And it was just really a spectacular um, presentation. And then you get into the match and it's the first person in the ring was was Arn Anderson. And then Dusty Rhodes got in and they two squared off. And that was a legendary <laughs> start to war games. It was was that the one um um the the first one in eighty seven was that the one that they did at the Orange Bowl where Ric Flair came to the ring in a helicopter? I, I just seem like I always remember that the, um, the helicopter no, the, the in the, the blue one, the one with Ric Flair the one with Ric Flair in the helicopter. I believe that was a Great American Bash, but not that one. That okay. one was um an earlier Great American Bash. I think it was eighty six. That that when, that scene was just always so. Yeah. iconic man like he, that was he epic. yeah that's he, pretty epic he that's what i'm saying he's always been god that, okay no we gotta stay on the show gotta stay on the show he <laughs> he is always just so much greater than bigger larger than life I, I hate what he's become now but you know you you live and you learn so you already went over the rules because i have the rules in my notes but one thing that always stood out to me that i love the most about war games was mm-hmm. um Gary Michael Capetta. Yeah. Reading those rules. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, he you know what? Jim Ross says it all the time. And I, to me, I think Jim Ross is a curmudgeon old man now that just likes to complain, but he says it all the time. If if rules, if there's no rules, like what are you doing? And right. and Capetta would would I mean he'd break down the time limits. He He'd say, and then the match beyond begins where it's submission or surrender, no retreat, no pinfall. I'm like, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> so it looks so legitimate. It looks so legitimate because you got the rules on the screen. They're going it down. So it just has an official feel to it. Then you got the music playing. Yes. As, the cage, music is, as the cage is coming down. Oh, my God. And the cage is coming down with the pyrotechnics just going off and uh, all that. Oh, my God. The fireworks. It's just an awesome sight. And you, you know that even the participants, the wrestlers themselves, when they're in that ring and they see that, it kind of gets you to feel a certain way. And War Games just brought out some really big moments in wrestling. Um, you know, Royal Rumble is like one of the more fun events. It's something we all look forward to. But a lot of those Royal Rumbles, you know, it's like, it's like fluff. Yeah, it's paint by you know, numbers. You, you feel, you, you get, ex- you, you can remember being so excited and you're like, and then there'll be like some exciting moments. But War, but Royal Rumble has 30 guys in it. And a lot of those guys may not be the greatest guys. In War Games, there's 10 guys, sometimes eight guys. And they're usually like the better guys in the company at the time. So you, you tend to have the best guys going up against the best guys, and you, you tend to get better moments. That, the war games that didn't do well were the war games that maybe didn't have the top guys that year. Oh, oh you, you, whenever, you, didn't like the, right. you didn't like the NWO versus um, the NWO Wolfpack versus whoever the other two teams was, Rowdy Piper's team? Oh, that, that, was, that was one of the worst war oh, games. But they ch- they changed the rules. They made it weird. You know, it's almost like they had to modify the match to accommodate certain people that clearly you couldn't see. Like, I couldn't envision Hulk Hogan. Like, back in 91, 92, seeing what War Games was, 
I can't see a Hulk Hogan doing that, especially as a champion. You know, Hulk Hogan can't even make regular matches. Like, so you didn't like him, you didn't you didn't like the '95 uh, uh, Fall Brawl, Hogan Hogan's team against the the the, the Dungeon of Doom. You didn't like that oh one. Oh my god, that was an embarrassment. <laughs> that was that was an embarrassment. And oh lord, and, and again, you know, that's WCW having to water it down to accommodate a guy. You know. And I felt like that other war games you talked about, I think that was like the 98 one with Roddy Piper. And yeah. The, Ultimate you know, Warrior war, was in there. Yeah, the rules weren't even the same at that point. And so I don't even count that. But war games to me is that 87. You could even say the 89 war games with the Road Warriors in it, with the Freebirds. Um, uh, the 91 war games, that one was spectacular too, with Sid Vicious dropping Brian Pillman on the back of his neck with the yeah. powerbomb. Uh, there's some great, great stuff that happened in war games. Yeah. So, all right. Um, what led up to, okay. So I don't remember the entire lead up. I know you do, but there's one specific moment that I want to talk about. Damn, we're already 20 minutes in one specific moment that I want to talk about because you put it on a videotape that I, that I dubbed from you a videotape that you made, by the way. Um, I think it was most uh, best grudges or something, but yeah. there was a match with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I don't remember who he was wrestling. Could have been Steve Austin for the TV title. Steamboat hit the ropes, bumped into Medusa, knocked Medusa down. Steamboat yeah. being the white meat baby face goes out to check on her. And, right. and what ended up happening was to date the hardest damn chair shot I have ever. ever heard or seen in my life. Ravishing Rick Rude tried to take his goddamn head off his body. Right. That was the hardest. <laughs> That's the sound of the chair. What him. was that? Like, <laughs> Unbelievable. Like, Unbelievable. what was it's, that, man? Like, what? what? <laughs> well, yeah. You know, so, Ricky Steamboat was, was wrestling in a match. And um, Medusa was trying to interfere. She tried to kick him. He then blocked the kick and held her leg and then instinctively uh, slapped her when she tried to hit him. And then he's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Sorry. And then he's like apologizing, seeing if she's okay. Rick Rude lost his mind. <laughs> started. You could see him running around the ring, running around. And he's like looking for a chair or something to hit him with. Once he finally got it, he gets in. And you just see a wide shot, and you just hear, boom. And it was like, my God. And then it didn't end there. He continued he on. He smeared his face it into the, oh my into God. the concrete. Blood, the blood, blood was everywhere. so vicious, that, that man. Was du- <laughs> that was during the time when WCW um, was being controlled by Cowboy Bill Watts, and he came in with all these rule changes. Yeah, the you know, no, blood, yeah, Bill Watts. no blood. Yeah, Cow- Cowboy Bill Watts is, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jim Ross's former boss, and they, they were in um, Georgia Championship Wrestling or, or Mid-South, Mid-South or whatever it is. South. Yeah, Mid-South. And uh, so he came into WCW, and he just made all these rules. You can't go off the turnbuckle, the top rope. You, uh, they're taking away the pads on the outside. So because they don't want he, you to go out there. Right, and that just made a bunch of injuries for no reason, and it was just so counterproductive. Plus, it didn't look good. 
And, um, you know, a lot of guys got hurt. A lot of guys got hurt. Uh, you know, Captain Jack was around at that time. Oh, you know, he, he continued jumping off <laughs> on the con on the concrete without padding. And, um, you know, a lot of guys just got really hurt. And Steamboat, went out, when he went out to the ring, Ravishing Rick Rude was just knocking his face into the concrete. And there was just, it was so bad, the, the screen got blurred. Yeah, they, they did that. Um, They did that that blurry thing. That you know, I mean, it was just blood everywhere, <laughs> yeah. just dropping everywhere. And then you didn't see Steamboat for a few weeks. And when you did see him, he had all this stuff on his face and a, um, a protective uh, face. But look at that! Gear. Look at that! Look at that! You you see what you just said? You didn't see Steamboat for a few weeks. I just watched a match on your favorite AD, AEW the other day, where right. the, where these guys are bleeding buckets. And they're back the next day with not so oh, even just a, a, a just a little band aid on the cut. Wow! Nobody sells anything like no. with, with that injury. I'm gonna tell you two injuries, and it actually happened to Steamboat. That one and the one where Macho Man crushed his the um the the, the ring bell. bell. Yeah, he 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 had to go do like speech there. I mean, we know it wasn't real, but it made you want to see Macho Man get his ass kicked. Right. And, right. and and that's what it was, man. Steamboat was, man, Steamboat was, God, he's coming back. 69, he's coming out of retirement. <laughs> I, 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 I don't get it. So, so let's, um, so let's, let's get into the participants of the, of the match. So you got the Dangerous Alliance, which was led by Paul Heyman with Medusa um, accompanying them. Um, legendary stable, legendary. Yeah, stable. yeah, very yep. underrated. Uh, yeah. Rick Rick Rude was the U.S. champion. Um, Steve Austin, who would go on to be the highest grossing wrestler in history, as Stone Cold Steve Austin was. Right, and let it be and let it be known too. All that time he was around, they always said that Steve Austin is going to be the future of wrestling. That he was like one of the better performers early in his career. He won the 1990 Rookie of the Year when he was in the USWA in a Texas promotion. And then he came to WCW in 91. And within the first month, he won the television title. And he, at the end of the year, he was the Rookie of the Year for 91 in WCW. So everybody saw and knew that good things were coming for him. Yeah, but black black trunks and black boots don't work, brother. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, um, the living legend Larry Zbysko, right? Which is he's a world champion three time three time world champion twice in um, AWA. So he has accomplishments. He he would wrestle against the legendary Bruno San Martino, and he was a former WWF tag team champ well WWF tag team champion back in seventy eight. Um, he won it twice, at least twice, I believe. You got um, tag team specialists, beautiful Bobby Eaton, which you and Fish used to always say he looked like Eggman. <laughs> <laughs> he did, he did. Because nothing about him was beautiful, but man, could he work, man. He now, That dude was a worker. He, he was right. a worker. And, Right, and his name is Beautiful Bobby for good reason. Not because he's beautiful, but because the moves he executes were so beautifully done. And he did. He was he was really great. In the the Alabama Jam. Yeah, exactly. R.I.P. to the legendary Bobby Eaton who passed but you, away. You know, this, this time last year. You know, I don't think they called him Beautiful Bobby because of his his work rate, though. I think they called him Beautiful Bobby as a way to get heat. 
because he was because he was an ugly dude, but they just called him like beautiful Bobby. I think that was more that was more more of it. And last but not least, my most underrated wrestler of all time, Double A, the Enforcer, Arn Anderson. Which is another <laughs> another great execution in the ring, another ring general, another guy that, you know, he just does the work. And you can really never, you know, like all these wrestlers that we talk about, you look at their time in the ring and you're like, that was that time when they were struggling or this was the time when they fell off a little. Like Arn Anderson was on the straight level all the way through there's not a oh that was the green time of anderson's career like he just from the get-go he was always that guy that was just doing his thing he didn't have a poor even uh, towards the end of his career when he was older he was still executing he was still looking great in the ring and um you know and, he doesn't get enough credit and he yeah, you, credit. you know why he doesn't get enough credit though because he was always rick flair's second right Right, and he had, I, I like he had the, the greatest. I like the fact that him and Flair had that that um, that, that little feud. Yeah, I wish they would have done more with it. Yeah, yeah, that just kind of ended abruptly. But um, yeah, and he also had the greatest spinebuster in the business. I do want to ask you this because I never got to ask you this. Um, God, shit, we're twenty five minutes in, I haven't gotten to the match yet. Um, <laughs> what what did you think of the my spot promo? The the. My spot was so funny to me. It's still to this day. So you thought it was funny. You didn't. You didn't take it as disrespect, right? No, I did not. It was. A, it was a funny <laughs> ass one. But I mean, you know, flaring them. I get why they. Why they were not happy about it because the NWO were already disrespecting them. You know, they were pretty much jobbing for the NWA. I mean, the NWO. So um, now we're gonna not only job for you, but now we're gonna be disrespected. And made fun of because it was a, a real, legitimate, genuine moment. Uh, Anderson had an injury, and now he had to leave the sport that he loved all his life. And the very next week, the NWO comes out and makes a mockery out of that. Like, can't the can the Horsemen have anything? Like, they can't win matches against NWO. They they always getting beat up at the end of Nitro, and now this is a real thing. This is like. A real thing. He's about to retire, and he doesn't want to retire because of the injury. And then, you know, they got caught up in the feelings, and they're going to make fun of it. But to me, it was funny. Oh, yeah, it was hell. hilarious, man. <laughs> I mean, it's it one of my favorite moments. It's, to this day, I always bring it, bring it up, man. Like, I always say it. My spot. Not your dog's spot. Oh, my <laughs> God. That is gold. With, with X-Pac playing Ric Flair, just crying oh. every minute. Oh, my God. But not, but not to be confused <laughs> with the DX. Making fun of Nation of Domination, which was completely racist. You didn't like that? Oh, come on. Oh my Get God. out of here. Really? <laughs> Mizark? And they Get got their blackface? Get they out of here. Face? Oh, come on. Hey, Super listen. Agent blackface. Hey, I, I, can see, I can see comedy and everything. <laughs> oh, yeah, but not, not when it comes to that crap. Oh, my God. Man, that was, that was hilarious. Man, wrestling gives a gives us some good moments. So now let's get to the the the, the good guys, T, and the baby faces. So you got yep. Sting's Sting's Squadron. Um, I'm gonna start from the bottom to the top. So you have the Natural Dustin Rhodes, right? So this is the son of the man that made the match, you know. And uh, you know, at that time, back in '91, Dustin, you know, he pretty much was a rookie. I think starting that year, I believe. Dustin started uh, his first pay-per-view was Super Bowl 91, which is the, 
I believe that was back in May, May or February. Something. Yeah, February. Well, no, remember, remember, he did a stint in WWF, um, where him and his dad feuded against the Million Dollar Man and Virgil at the Royal Rumble. So I think right. I think that, that was, was nineteen ninety. Yeah, that was nineteen ninety. Yeah, but that was, he wasn't like he wasn't like actually like full time. He just made a little spot in there. But like to be on that roster in WCW in a place where Dusty Rhodes uh, had a big legacy in, in a match that Dusty Rhodes created. So he had a lot of pressure on him. Now, at the time, Dustin Rhodes, I never viewed him as like, and because I mean, it was too early in his career, but he was finding his way. He was just okay in my book. But I hated him. He's, he's, his career goes down. It's it's a successful career. I hated him. I hated, I hated the natural Dustin Rhodes. And yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't <laughs> use the word hate. Well, no, as a character, not as a man. I just, I just think he was too bland. He was too right, He was trying to be his dad. Yeah. He was trying oh, to yeah. fill oh, those yeah. legacy, And that's where it kind of messed up for him. But, you know, he got it. He got it down the road, you know. With no, the, come on. you like no, yeah, I was about to say, give it, say it what it is. He he made a name for himself as the first incarnation of Gold Dust. Right, right. That so character he, was oof, boy. <laughs> we gonna have to, we're gonna have to do one on that soon because oh my <laughs> god, that character. Um, another another very very underrated wrestler who I think was overshadowed timing. If he would have came ten years after. Ric Flair, he would have been, he probably would have been where Hulk Hogan is or 10 years before. And that's B.W., Barry Windham. I think that's Johnny's favorite wrestler, too. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, Johnny used to love uh, Barry Windham. And Barry Windham, he was always one of those guys, you know, like Arn Anderson, just that he wasn't, he didn't have the hindrance that Arn Anderson had where he, he wasn't known to be attached too much to a, a stable or a group or a tag team. Well, like Arn Anderson was, but he was again another workman, another general in that ring, another guy that would always execute well, very well, and would always be involved in some great matches. Um, he when and when he had the NWA title, uh, like in '93, Barry Windham, he had a title defense on the Clash of the Champions against uh, Two Cold Scorpio. That was a great ass match that they had. It was back and forth, and it was. It was competitive, and it was everything you want to see in a wrestling match. And that's, I mean, Barry Windham, he made a lot of guys look good, and, and he, he he's, a, he's a Hall of Fame legend guy. But, yeah, you're right. He doesn't get the the kind of attention or kind of uh, respect due that, he, that he, he's done in that ring. But another great one there. But think about Barry Windham when you say he made a lot of guy, he, he made a lot of guys look good. You know who else they said that about? Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Another one underrated. Exactly. Yes. But it's because they spent their whole career making guys look good. They were always, what do they say, always a bridesmaid, never the bride. Like, mm. they just, even when Barry Windham was champion, it was kind of because Flair left. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. He never really got that spot, man. And I, I just think he was. That was a mistake because there's no reason a guy like Barry Windham shouldn't have been there you know he had all the tools none of the weaknesses in that ring i mean that's an indictment not on barry Windham, but on the promoters or the, the the company really for not doing what needs to be done it's like when you look back at the wwf history did do we really oh, have to not stalkers. have jake the snake win the title i mean like yeah. well, oh. some of these guys should have won 
Oh, Roddy God. Piper. Why, uh, man? See, we're gonna have to do the best guys who never won the title. I mean, yeah, you know, raise the raise the or well, Scott Hall. You know, like some of these guys should have won it at least once, and there was specific moments in their career where it would have been really good for business and for them to have them as champions but that was missed opportunities now hogan hogan had to have his have like multiple four-year reigns yeah <laughs> and it's just silly you know like if they would have just done the right thing and and that's the thing it would have added to hogan's uh career but because they just stopped everybody from being able to win that title. And that devalued the belt, to be honest. Look at Ric Flair. Ric Flair was a champion for a long time. But he, he lost to guys, and he had epic battles with guys. Ricky Steamboat beat Flair, won the title. Ronnie Garvin won the title. You know, there were guys that won and had opportunities to grow. Whereas Hogan, nobody won the title except Ultimate Warrior. So wait Not a even minute. Andre. Andre... You know, won it off of a uh, technicality cheating, and then they. Oh, get, oh, yeah. How much did you pay for the past plastic <laughs> surgery, brother? That'll never go away. That'll never go away, man. So oh, wait, so you think you think it's more stock in winning and losing multiple times and just having long title reigns? And the reason I say that now because Roman Reigns is like at two years as champion, and it's now like he's beating everybody. So it's like right now. Now where do you go? Yeah, you yeah. Friend? Now, you now yeah. In the corner. <laughs> I, I want, I want, I want those damn belts off him. Especially that he's never, you know, he's not really full time anymore. And I love Roman Reigns. He's my favorite wrestler right now. Yeah. But I don't think he needs a title. Right. All right. Right. Um. So we got Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who this whole feud basically started over. Um, oh yeah, it's real hot with him. I mean, my God. I mean, if you think about the whole match, everybody connects to everybody. Everybody has a legitimate beef and feud with everybody. I mean, let's remember the year before, Sting in 91, him and Rick Rude's feud and what that started. Paulie dangerously managing Rick Rude and Paulie dangerously going after Sting um, with Rick Rude. The, the epic match they had on the Clash of the Champions, which was uh, one of the best, is you know, it, even though it had the little gimmick with the with the um, hospital and listen, it, but, it, I, but it, it, I, it executed well enough. Listen, that was perfect. Where yeah. where where they clipped Sting and he had a knee injury, and then they said yeah. if he didn't get back to the ring in like ten seconds, he'd forfeit the title. Right. And then when his music hit and he's limping to the ring. Instead of and, and, instead of Rick Rude taking the easy way out, his ass goes and meets him on the ramp, man. Yes, <laughs> just, yes, yes, right, one hundred percent. God, right, wrestling right. used to be so damn good. Yeah. Why do oh, they yeah. complicate things so much? Yep. That was yep. that was simple storytelling, and Sting lost that match. But you know, he didn't lose anything in losing that match. Exactly, but if that was Hogan, somehow Hogan would have won. <laughs> Friggin' Hogan. <laughs> All right, who that's there? So Rick Steamboat. All right, so next, next, um, next participant is Nikita Koloff. 
Oh, the Russian nightmare. And again, going back to how everything in this match connects and you have legitimate beasts between all the com competitors in the match, which m added to the drama. And you could tell by the way the crowd was watching this war games. Like, they know the stories behind the stories, and everybody just ate it up. So Nikita Koloff, you know, in 87, got injured, lost the title to Lex Luger. Then, four years later, comes back in 91 to present Lex Luger with a new United States title and then just ambushes and beat him down. Then says, you know, hey, uh, I didn't forget what happened four years ago, which is always a great thing in wrestling when things from the past Call add back. up to the future. Yes. And you don't see that a lot. Like, there's a huge payoff there. Nikita Koloff was legitimately gone out of wrestling for four years. He then came back, and they still continued that storyline. So they beefed and had their little fight. It led to Sting and Luger versus the Steiner Brothers tag team match in Super Bowl. Then Luger came with the Russian chain, trying to hit Luger to continue their feud. He ended up hitting Sting. Now, Sting and Luger, I mean, Sting and Nikita has this feud going on. Goes to Clash of the Champions, Bash, um, um, Great American Bash, and all the way up to now, Nikita is a teammate of Sting. And even in going into the match, it's kind of shaky on have they really mended their the differences, or is it just like a swerve going to happen when Nikita is pretending to be a friend but really an enemy so you had that storyline going into the match that just added to the already over the top you know rush of of, of this match right now so it, it just they just had everything going in the right direction from a story standpoint and then you got the ultimate because war games is the ultimate place to to solve differences really uh, more so than a regular cage match or a hell in a cell or any of that stuff. When it goes on in war games, that's the place where things end. At the, and, and you know it's the case because after this match, there were changes that happened. The, the, the two teams went in one way and they left a totally different way. And that's that's what I like. See, Straight Talk Society, that's what you get when, when you get one of these wrestling shows. You're not just getting somebody that's going to say, oh, this happened, this happened, this happened. We're going back into the history. He brought up something from four years ago and brought it to the current time. See, that I forgot I forgot that it was, was Nikita ambushing Luger. That cause was the reason for him hitting Sting by accident with the chain. I was trying right. to remember what the connection to that was. Okay, and they, they never brought it up in commentary. But so, all right. So we're finally here, 40 minutes in. Let's get to the match. So um, my quick thought on the beginning of the match, and just, just so you know, with war games, the heels always win the coin toss. It seems like that. Nah, it, it, it's, it's always, because let's think, of, why would you want the faces to get a two-on-one advantage? <laughs> Especially that the faces normally win most of the time. <laughs> So, so yeah, why would you want them to go in with a two-on-one advantage? So, um, the match starts out with um, Steve Austin and Barry Windham. Which they have history as well. Barry Windham just had recently, before that match, defeated stunning Steve Austin for the TV title. So, they had a heated thing going on right then and there. So, right at the beginning, there's cause for a grudge right there. 
and you know, you know what I love before, and I'm telling you, when I say I took notes on this, I took some notes on this. So you know what I really love about um, before they they went in, how the Dangerous Alliance huddled up. Yeah, they huddled up outside of the cage and were painting scenarios. Like if you what? go in, this is going to happen. This it's like you just don't see that detail anymore, man. Nobody. Nobody, you know what it is? Wrestling promoters think their fans are stupid. And right. instead of rewarding us for, for paying attention to detail, they give us eight, 850 splashes. Like, <laughs> these assholes are jumping off of the top of buildings and not not drawing a dime doing it. Like, <laughs> I mean, right, right. That's what sidebar, what, what I do love, what WWF is doing now is the white rabbit thing. Um, and we're all just assuming it's Bray Wyatt coming back, but what they're doing, they're not beating us over the head with it. And they're rewarding us for paying attention to his career because right. each clue brings you something back to something that happened five years ago, six years ago. It's just, you gotta, you gotta reward your audience with, um, attention to detail. What I really loved about this, and I was really paying attention to this is before Barry Windham got in the ring, um, it was a heavy emphasis on his taped fist. Yep. I miss that in wrestling, that the taped fists are, are a weapon, and nobody put that over more than um, Jesse Ventura. Yep. Jesse Ventura would always let you know how those taped fists... You remember the um, Super Brawl match with Brian Pillman and... Barry and Barry Windham, it was a ta- yep. it was a tape fist match. Like, like how yep. how simple could you be, man? <sighs> and remember, man, and remember the whole reason his fist is taped is because to, the Dangerous Alliance attacked Barry Windham, and they they held his arm, his his hand by the door of a car and slammed it repeatedly <laughs> on his fist, which broke it. And that's why Larry Sabisco's name is the cruncher from the crunching of his fist being broken up by the, the door of the car. So, you know, again, everybody in this match has a legitimate beef with the people they're opposing. It's not like, okay, Sting is mad at these two guys. I need some partners to back me up. There's none of that. Like, everybody in here wants to destroy everybody in here. So now I'm just going to kind of just, you know, go through my notes. You want to just interject whenever you want. Um, so you got Austin and Wyndham. They're just trading back and forth, back and forth. Um, so the countdown begins. And next, next end for the Dangerous Alliance is the heavy hitter. Rick Rude comes in. That and, was a great entrance yeah, by Rick Rude. What I love Rick about Rude. Rick Rude is when he comes in, is no playing, buddy. No, <laughs> not at all. He got right down to business. He did exactly what you should do as the third man in. The third man has to give a momentum to your team. You got this, this two-on-one advantage. You need to hit and hit quick, and you need to make a major impact. Because at that point in the match... When the two of them started for five minutes, Barry Windham got the best of them. Uh, Austin, being a rookie, literally and figuratively, in in um, WCW and in the War Games, that was the first War Games that Steve Austin had ever been in, and it showed because he was bleeding like a stuffed pig. Yeah, I, I was. I got that in my notes. Austin was the first man to bleed. He was. <laughs> 
It was, I mean, <laughs> it was something serious. I mean, he was in deep trouble. So by Rick Rude coming in as a third guy, it gave them a nice boost. And to give credit to Austin as well, he still he took a little time to decide to kind of get himself together, and uh, he kind of helped. He didn't just do like others I've seen, like in a Royal Rumble or other types of matches <laughs> with multiple people in there. You know how those guys they they lay down on the side or they go outside and rest because they're so messed up. But uh, he took a moment to catch his breath, and then he continued helping Rick Rude attack Barry Windham. Did you and, ever? Uh, which is great. Did you ever hear? Great. Did you ever hear the Romans? Yeah. The Romans sleeping chant. It was from um, Royal Rumble 2015, I think. Um, they threw Roman Reigns through the middle ropes. So you know that's not a disqualification. And he spent the, right. he spent the next 30 minutes out on the floor to wow. where to where the fans start chanting Roman sleeping. <laughs> yeah. So what yeah, I like what cool. I what I like about Rick Rude coming in, and again we go deep into this because we're wrestling fans. Rick Rude is from Minnesota, yep. and his style plays to what you hear about Minnesota wrestlers. They, they come in and they wreck the Minnesota wrecking crew. Like, right. they come in and they give you those clubbing forearms, and I mean, like, he was beating the shit out of Barry Windham. I'm like, good Lord. Yep. <laughs> so now they got Barry Windham just beat to shit, you know. And, and what I love about war games, the match can't end you still mm-hmm. got to endure more punishment. So they could have hung this guy and you couldn't stop the match. Yep, yep. So next yep. next up for the, the good guys was Ricky Steamboat. And when Ricky Steamboat came in, man, that frigging crowd. Because they know. <laughs> they know the story. They know what happened between them. They know that loud chair shot heard around the world. They know the damage that, that they've done to his face and nose and whatnot. They know that history, and they know when he get in there, it's on. And boy, they just went crazy. So I know everybody knows if you follow me on on the YouTube YouTube page at uh, Straight Talk with Trevor, you'll see the two wrestling shows that we did and the Chris Benoit um, short where Vancat made he he clipped basically every single thing that we were saying. So I'm gonna with this show. I'm going. I'm probably not going to release it this week. Because I'm going to give you enough time to get the audio. I probably got audio to you till next week. Well, till later in the week. So you could do your magic. But you you definitely got to get that chair shot in there. <laughs> you got to, man. Yeah. You got yeah, that was something. I mean, that that was that was friggin' insane. And we have an invitation. We have an invitation to come on to the arena uncensored. It's um it's 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 a guy that I'm friendly with on YouTube. Um, he former Panther. He does you know he he talks about everything. But I let them know about our wrestling shows, and they listen to the other ones, and they love this. And everybody wants to get in on the wrestling show, so we have an open invitation to come in and do a YouTube panel just talking about wrestling. That's awesome. Um, so now uh, Barry Windham is the next guy to to start bleeding. So the next man in. Um, was a war game veteran. And I want to say he's been in every one of them. Um was double A Arn Anderson to yep. give the heels the um the advantage. And when he comes in, first thing he does, he's hitting DDTs and spine busters. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yep. Yep. I mean, hey, he was handing them things out like like food stamps. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you you can tell his veteran his veteran experience and leadership. 
when he got in there, the whole thing just turned. Because remember, we just saw Ricky Steamboat do this amazing onslaught, and he just took over. He injected all this energy into Sting's team, and uh, things were just going their way. When Arn Anderson came in, all that ceased. Anderson controlled that match at that point. Everybody got it. <laughs> no matter who you are, you're going to get it. And, and that he, DDT hits. Yeah. You know, Arn Anderson has one of the greatest DDTs. I would say it's even better than Jake the Snake, to be honest. His DDT is on point. One of the best, if not the best. He, he definitely has Arn the best Anderson spine buster. He, de huh? he definitely has the best spine buster. Oh, yeah. Nobody nobody compares to him uh, as far as that spine buster. It's so smooth, and it's just it's, it's just un unrivaled by any other wrestler. But um, what he does, came in there. What right? does DDT stand for? Oh, the DDT is, um, from what I understand with Jake the Snake, it's a poison. It's rat poison. Uh, for rats. Yeah, it's a rat poison, but I, I don't, I forgot what the initial means. Okay, but. so the letters itself doesn't stand for anything. It was just the name of a rat poison. That's what I was right, trying to figure right. out. Right, And it was like him taking out the rats. Okay. That's what he was saying. I mean, I spent years trying to figure out what the hell that meant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, so, yeah, so, so Anderson, man, he, he, he did his thing. And, um, you know, at that point, things were going well for the Dangerous Alliance. Yeah, you got, yeah, because, I mean, at this point, you know, they got the advantage and the faces are, are damn near spent, especially Barry Windham because he started the whole thing. So now next yeah. next up is um is Dustin Rhodes. So your favorite. Yeah. So, so, so I, I got a funny thing I got, I got to tell you about. Okay. So I wrote this in my notes. So next man in was Dustin Rhodes. Um, he came in delivering elbows and lariats. He had an all right lariat. You can't do a lariat though. When you're in the ring with the king of lariats, Barry Wynn. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, so and, and don't forget, um, Stan the oh yeah. Oh yeah. The rest oh, that's another one. Oh God. That was stiff. <laughs> I'm yep. I'm surprised he didn't break he he didn't injure people with that. Yep. So here's the stupid moment of the match. Dustin Rhodes gets up for an electric chair slam. Mm -hmm. Like you gotta remember, these guys average like six four, six five. The cage can't be higher than ten <laughs> feet tall. So if you put a six foot guy on top of another six foot guy. He's gonna freak, he's gonna have to bend his neck to even get up for the move. I thought I just thought I thought they had a I thought they had a brain fart right there. Cause I'm like, what? Why would he do an electric chair slam? Like I, I, I just I just because you you see it's just blonde hair just touching the top of the cage, and I'm like, man, that that was so another thing I, I do have on my notes though. Whereas the in in more um the ones before this, and I think it's just this match had like had ten guys in it, and I say seven of those guys were like legit workers. Well, no, I mean like legit wrestling technicians. Oh, okay. And I'm saying Sting, Nikita, and who else would I say probably wasn't there yet? Uh, Dustin, I guess. But right. the reason I say this in this brutal match. That they're kicking everybody's ass, and I didn't see this before, and I didn't see this after in the in the in the matches to come. These guys are still working submission holes, trying to weaken their opponents. 
Which is smart. Yeah, you got that's what I'm saying. You got the this that's why this is my favorite war games. Because the psychology, and I didn't even know anything about psychology back then. But this is the match that I will consistently watch over and over just because the psychology in this and everything they did made sense with the exception of that um electric chair slam. So <laughs> All right, so so next up um, for the heels comes in Larry Zbysko, and um, so so now around this time, this is where Medusa comes into play. So this is I you know I got to call him out for this because this was pretty stupid. So Larry Zbysko comes in now. Think about it. Every time a new guy came in for the Dangerous Alliance, Medusa good for them. Well, no, Medusa was on the same side with them, along with 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 um Paulie Dangerously. Right. So Larry Zabisco comes in the ring, but then on the other side of the cage, you see Medusa climb into the top of the cage. What does Medusa do? She drops the phone in the cage. Why? Yep. Why the hell didn't she just give it to Larry Zabisco? When uh, you- <laughs> I think I think I think the reasoning behind that is just a theory. But if you got an activity going on in one end of the cage. Uh, you can you can have use that as a diversion to then you can go up and give it to Arn and, and it worked because Arn and them got the um, got the uh, the phone and they were able to use it su- successfully. The problem is Elias Sabisco when he came in he immediately got his ass beat down. <laughs> and and mean, he takes the most he ridiculous was, he takes the most ridiculous bumps man. <laughs> yeah, he, he did not help the team like usually when a fresh person comes in there's a jolt of energy and it stopped with Larry Sabisco. <laughs> a lot of people look at him in this match. They're like, "Well, he's the weak link." I mean, again, you know, Larry Sabisco, he's he's a Hall of Fame legend type guy. But uh, at that point, we were looking at him as being a weak link, and he proved it immediately. He had his little, <laughs> like the, in the Royal Rumble when those guys come in and they go right out like the Bushwhackers. Yeah, like yeah. Come in. <laughs> I mean, it, it was like one of those moments. He just got like he was a non. He was non-existent. He did not have an impact early to help, you know, leverage the 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 win in their way. You know, it was just uh, a step backwards, really, with Zabisco. And then there was another interesting thing that happened around this time too, where you had Arn Anderson and you had um, Arn Anderson and Rick Rude applying a double Boston Crab. Oh, yeah. Which um, Jim Ross said he had never seen before at, up until that time, which was pretty interesting to see that. And, and you know, you just keep seeing new innovative things from WCW, especially during this time. This is, you know, this is the original WCW days, not the Nitro days, where it was like the old Wild West type, you know, where it was a lot of open field for a lot of creative and great things. Sometimes you'll get some weird nonsense you know because they're trying to compete with wwf and they'll do things but when they're in their zone and they're they stick to their bread and butter like war games is their bread and butter you know when you do that you know you get some great stuff and that's the stuff i look at yeah you're gonna have to go through some nonsense moments but there's always some kind of a payoff in wcw at least back in these days yeah and and i'm gonna we're already approaching the hour mark, so I'm going to have to just cut it right here, and we're going to come back on the other side. But what I did want to mention before I go, um, 
one thing as Medusa was climbing the, the cage, Sting was going up after her. So yeah. that popped the crowd. I thought it was unnecessary, but they got the visual that they wanted. So I, I mean, guess. if you think about it too, Zabisco, like I said, as soon as he got in the ring, he immediately <laughs> was getting his ass beat. Yeah. So when that happens, you know, he, he would have dropped the cell phone. But now with him coming in, that's one diversion, and then she could just drop it specifically to a guy already in the ring. So maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what it was about. And we're going to see you on the other side in just a few moments. If you can't get enough of Straight Talk with Trevor, be sure to like our Facebook page. You'll get page-only exclusives like links to early shows and behind-the-scenes video footage. You can also participate in polls that might shape future shows. The best thing about our Facebook page is that's where you can get in direct contact with Trevor. You can also leave show topics, reviews, or even request to be a guest on the show. Again, like us on Facebook and thank you for your continued support. One, and we're back. So we we leave off with um Larry Zabisco getting his ass kicked. Fresh, <laughs> freshest man in the match getting his ass kicked. So, so, so at this point, you have um, you have everybody kind of paired off. Um, and Austin and Wyndham are just bleeding buckets, man. I mean, the the amount of blood that's in the ring from these two guys is is oh the 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 <laughs> the canvas in the ring, both rings, is just blood everywhere. There's even blood you can see on certain shots. You can see the blood on the cage. You can see the redness on the cage. It's crazy. What's your view on that? <laughs> as far as the blood in general? The blading and all that stuff. Uh, it's fine when it's in appropriate moments. Definitely War Games is an appropriate moment for that. But I think like Ric Flair believing that, or because I'm Ric Flair and I'm knowing the bleed, that I need to bleed like every little regular match. Ric Flair wrestles the leprechaun and he's bleeding. That don't make sense. That don't make sense at all. It's not really a need for that. Red means green. I think green. there's certain times, like if you're doing something and it's like, okay, that makes sense. You just hit the turnbuckle. That makes sense. So you did something specific that that would make sense. Or if you're in a real grueling long match, maybe that makes sense. But like to have just regular eight minute match, and like you're just bleeding off the back. It's kind of weird. It's kind of, I don't like. I don't like it too excessive. Yeah. But it need, it, it should happen in the right moments, in the right setting and environments. War games is more than right for for that kind of thing to happen. And I and I think and I think um I think now too because you get the wrestlers now are more prettier. Like let's just call their pretty boys. They they don't want to walk around. With a Dusty Rhodes forehead, or a, you know, right. <laughs> they don't want right. to work around with all those blade marks. You know, it's it's right. It's it's not the eighties and the nineties anymore. I, right, I, and that's a criticism for AEW that I've heard. It's like they're on that TV show, brother. They're they, like on they TV, bleed. just bleeding. They bleed every, every match, every match, every week. So now <laughs> it's like, what the? Hell? I mean, even in boxing, they don't bleed. <laughs> they don't bleed all the time so i don't even understand what are we doing here yeah i i'm i'm not a fan i'm not a fan of blood just because of you know medical what we know now but 
And if, but listen, if you're going to have a cage match, like, okay, this Saturday, um, WWE Extreme Rules, they're going to have a fight pit match, which basically is simulating the UFC fight. Mm-hmm. Somebody better bleed. Like, I mean, <laughs> in, in certain matches, somebody's going to have to get their face busted up. You know, it's, it's not like Brock Lesnar, Hardway, and Randy Orton, where his head was leaking two gallons of blood over the canvas. Like, that, that was a little excessive, but... Yeah, I mean it, it adds it adds in the drama, but yeah, you definitely don't need to be bleeding in a in a in an eight minute TV match like that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's just it's, it 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 kind of does a disservice to when a match that would have bleeding in it does happen because you've already seen so many bloods with <laughs> two midgets fighting and bleeding. And like, come on, like we we can't have blood all the time. And so when it does happen, it needs to be, oh wow, this is serious. Look at how the length that they're going through. This is is not to be taken lightly. But when you've been bleeding, like you got ten show, you got ten matches on your show, and like six of them bleed. <laughs> yeah. Right? At a certain point, it's like okay, that's your uniform. The blood. Did you see? They, that we got We got to talk about that first uh, Starcade card. She. No, those jokers, man. My goodness, I would hate to have to clean that mat up afterwards. Oh my god, it was crazy. Uh, so, so we have Ravishing Rick Rude being being the the savvy veteran. He's tearing at the broken nose of Ricky Steamboat. Mm-hmm. Just to just to add injury to insult, man. He's just mm-hmm. tearing at that nose, just making Steamboat scream in pain. So, mm-hmm. so now interesting. So this was an interesting decision here. I mean, now being in my forties, I understand why they did it. But back then, I'm like, man, why would you do that? Next up for the baby faces was the WCW heavyweight champion, Sting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I'm like, man, why not send Nikita Kolov in? Your guys are getting beat down. At least you want to send the heavy hitter in. I mean, we'll mm-hmm. we'll see once Kolov comes in why they did it that way. But at that time, I was like, huh. What what was your thoughts on Sting coming in before Kolov? The the thought of Sting coming in before Kolov is the same reason why Sid Vicious came in the year before in '91 as the last guy. You want to keep that big monster. Because he's so big, Sid Vicious, Nikita Koloff, they're all nearing like 300 or more pounds, right? So they don't have that stamina like like the other guys that, that weigh a little less. But they can come in and inject a lot of power and damage, especially when other guys are really fatigued and worn down. So it's a perfect strategy because when Sid Vicious came in, you saw what happened. Complete destruction. So you almost killed a guy. Right. <laughs> Complete destruction. You put your Arn Andersons in, you put your, your Ric Flair's in, and those are stamina your shock guys. Master, your shock masters? Shock master? <laughs> well, shock master. <laughs> that was 93. No, that was 93, yeah. not 91. <laughs> you, you, you didn't like that one either, huh? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but it's epic in its ridiculousness, that's for sure. So, but yeah, so it's a smart strategy to to get your big monster because that's a huge problem. You're all fatigued and tired, and now this fully rested guy yeah. with all his power and strength is going to really bring it to us. 
I, so I never looked. Sense. I never looked at it that way. And then you bring Sting in because he's your energy guy. Right. He can inject energy in. So and then you you got that hitting just before your your big guy coming in. That's a smart smart strategy. Paulie had a great strategy too that really paid off. He's talking about what they're gonna do, the options of what they can do, and for him to utilize that strategy at the end was. Very smart, and nobody had done that in the war games before. I don't think anybody even thought about it. So, so but Paulie is one of those smarter guys, you know. He he thinks out the box. So um, Sting comes in just guns blazing, just beating up everybody. But then he heads straight for Rude, and then, and then in one of the most coolest spots in war games, military presses Rude repeatedly. Uh -huh. Into the top mm -hmm. of the cage, mm -hmm. like oh, yeah. that. That visual and and Rude is a muscular guy, but he can't be that heavy. So Sting was always throwing him all over the place. Like Sting, right. Sting is a big, powerful dude, and he was just mil. And what I liked, he wasn't just military pressing him on the mesh. He moved him over to the cross beam and did it onto that. I just thought, like, now watching this as an older guy, I'm noticing every little thing now. I'm like, oh, crap, he got him right there. So um, in a scary spot in the, in, in the match, Sting, uh -huh. Arn Anderson, for whatever reason, comes running at Sting, and Sting back body drops him over the top rope. Into um, the oh, cage, uh, Steve, Steve, um, Steve Austin. That was Austin. Oh yeah, yeah. And he drops. Oh my god, that, and he that drops was, on his head. That was crazy. Yeah, his legs and everything just rubbed <laughs> up against that steel cage, but, which again has those pricks on it. But he drops on can, his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It fell right back. Steve Austin. He was already taking so much punishment early, and then it just continued. Yeah, oh, he, he he earned he earned his money that he so so now at this point everybody in the ring is bleeding damn near. I don't think Rude was bleeding. I think Rude, no, and, he didn't Rude bleed. yeah, no, Rude he didn't. and Sting, yeah. Rude's like, nah, buddy, that's that was not in my contract. I'm but if like, you look at if you look at the tights of damn near every wrestler, there's blood on the back, on the front of every Arn Anderson is wearing white trunks. Yeah. And there's blood <laughs> all over it. The, Barry Windham has yellow on there's blood all over it. And it's just blood everywhere on the apron, on the ring, on the on the on the cage. There's also a spot that I gotta mention with Barry Windham caught on Anderson and he's like has him upside down with his head stuck between the two yes, rings. Yes. And then <laughs> and I using um, him like a plunger. Yeah, somebody but and then somebody else came over and helped him. I don't remember, and they were like kind of pulling his legs. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was a clever spot. Yeah, it, it was just so many different things in there, and it's hard like when you're doing a match like this to take notes. You got ten different guys in there, and you got to pay yeah. attention to what's going on on the outside. And speaking of what's going on the outside, last man in for the heels is beautiful Bobby. But before he comes in, they are taping his fist. Mm -hmm. Now we go back to that fist tape because. Yep. Um, as beautiful Bobby became, a, I think even when he was with the Midnight Express, he was always known for having a lethal left hand, right? Yes, yes. So you add the tape to it to make it harder. So now he comes in and he has an added advantage. He already has a hard left. Now they're going to put this block of cement on his hand. It's just, just storytelling, man. It's just, it, yes. It's like it, the, the so simple, man. You just do 
just these simple little things, man. And it just, it just makes, makes for just fantastic, fantastic wrestling. Um, oh, and there's, there's also a shot. <laughs> I guess you got to say, uh, of course, this is wrestle 192 WCW wrestle 192 war games. And in the crowd, you can see a shot of Larry Zabisco and beautiful Bobby as the clock is counting down. I think Zabisco is getting ready to get in. And there's a shot in the back where a person is holding a sign that says, we want flair. Of course, you know, <laughs> Rick flair this time in 92 is in the WWF, but it's just funny to see that. Um, we want flair. So where, where are we now? So, okay. So all the heels are in the match now, and this is where, this is where it starts happening, where subtly they're doing this very subtle. At first you didn't really know. And Jesse Ventura even mentioned on commentary. He's like, man, I think y'all shouldn't be worrying about the turnbuckle. The heels start yeah. to unloosen the turnbuckle. Yeah. At the time we have no idea why they're doing this. I mean, I'm sitting there as a 12 year old kid. Like this is stupid. <laughs> like, like 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 seriously what are y'all doing like this this is this is really stupid so every now and then they didn't stay and that's what i like too they didn't just stay there there was a spot um on smackdown where mark henry oh he big bad mark henry um another another wasted talent by Vince man if i'm gonna say so but big bad mm-hmm. mark henry comes to the ring and he's trying to kill batista and the spot is he's supposed to tear the cage door off, but he can't get the door off. So, they, mm. so they're on him for like ten minutes trying to rip this door off. So I like, oh so I like the fact that Bobby Eaton he'd go over there, he'd play with it for a while, can't do it, you know. And so, so last thing for the baby faces is Nikita Koloff. So now this is, everybody's wondering now, what's going to happen? And and now that Nikita's in, now the match beyond begins. Where it's, right. um, it's, it's, it, it was, you, can hear, you can hear Jesse Ventura saying, uh, wh- why are they talking? Why are they doing this? Yeah. Uh, they're supposed to be on the same page. Yeah. What are they beefing about? Yeah, yeah. Because, well, that's where we're getting there because, Cause um cause Sting Sting's over there getting Sting's getting over there over there getting beat down, so Nikita Koloff comes right into the ring. He but interesting, he comes into the ring and he walks past like four heels, so he goes mm-hmm. over to the corner where Double A is beating down on Sting, and Nikita Koloff drops he's he's beats up Double A. This is what I love back. This is what I really love about like Georgia Championship Wrestling and stuff like that. When you had the 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 Russians versus the the Andersons or the Midnight Express or whoever they were going against. With every forearm they would drop, like the Road Warriors and stuff, you'd hear the crowd. Just, yeah. The crowd would just yeah. erupt. And as, as Koloff comes in and he's just clubbing Anderson with those forearms, the crowd is just getting back up. Just woo, 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 that, that loud roar. Sting is down. Looks up, Koloff's looking at him. You got a sh- uh, 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 like a two second pause. Then Koloff extends his hand and picks things up. Then picks things up out of picks picks Sting up out of the corner. They're still yep. looking at each other and they're kind of beefing back and forth, like you know, having a little lovers quarrel. And then off in the distance, you could see Double A and Austin planning to attack both of them. So now the heels, the faces have their backs turned. And the heels come, and Sting 
gets pushed out of the way and Koloff takes the blow. So yep. I guess the debt is paid now. <laughs> and then that's <laughs> and then Sting fights them off. They fight each they fight them off and then they end up hugging. And that's where Jesse Ventura drops the line, I don't know what they were beefing about. Right. Like they should have been, right. you know, like what what the hell is going on? They why why are they beefing with one another? So right. so I guess all and the crowd erupts. Yeah. The crowd erupts when they high five. That was like a huge moment in the match where the crowd just went crazy. Again, the crowd knowing the history of what's going on and they're invested in the story. They're invested in the events of what's going on in in in, in you know, and that pretty much their rivalry or their story together. A good I've already said this, a good and I don't know I mean they ran in smaller venues. I mean this was at the Memorial Coliseum in Jacksonville or whatever. But that's not the point. Um I always said a good hot WCW crowd, there's nothing like it. Like right. WCW fans were invested like nobody's business. Like WW WWF could have 10, 20,000 people in a in a in an arena and they're dead ass quiet. Yeah. WCW will give you five thousand people that won't sit down. Right. I mean, they're just up for everything. And I think that makes the wrestlers the wrestlers feed off of that, man. That's like Yeah, in a, in this very same event, just as you're speaking about the they're just standing up. There was uh in the match with the Steiners against the Japanese team with Tatsumi Fujinami in there. Um there's spots where the Steiners were just slamming the hell out of the Japanese guys and um the, there was two girls in the front where I saw them. They just was jumping up and down and reacting to everything going on in that match. They were right in the front row, and it was just crazy to see. Like, you know, I, I hadn't seen the match in a few years, and I'm watching it. I watched the match, like, probably three times in the last week, and I just keep noticing, you know, them reacting, and I'm like, damn, those are two females just, like, into it. Not old bare belly guys this was like two female you young females like jumping up and down yeah then there there was nothing like a wcw crowd um so rick rude goes back to try to loosen the turnbuckle because they bring in the muscle to, to get the turnbuckle off and he finally gets it off so now you have this turnbuckle just laying there in the ring we still don't as again 12 year old i don't understand what's going on here i didn't even realize at the point at the time what was happening i'm like why like why <laughs> you know because because you know now in wrestling they'll take the turnbuckle pad off to right. expose the steel ring and you're like okay right. well, well you're doing that you want to expose the steel but why are they taking the complete turnbuckle off that, that just didn't make any sense to me but you know now that i now that i see it so they basically expose this big steel rod that was used to hold up the the ring rope so yep. again, I got to put him in another dumb spot from Dustin Rhodes, another rookie mistake. He's six foot six in war games. Cage can't be higher than ten feet. He climbs his big country ass to the top rope <laughs> and has yep. to and has to crouch down to deliver yep. an elbow drop, which he that just he missed. yeah he, he, that he, he missed like. <laughs> 
and, and I know whoever put this match together didn't put it together to say, "Hey, I'm gonna make you look stupid." I just think like, <laughs> no, that was all him. Yeah, I just think, I just him. think the moment was too big, and and I think Arn Anderson was down there. He's like, "Man, I'm not selling this shit," and he just rolls out of the way, like. <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true, man. My God. And then, but hey, he was a rookie. He was a rookie yeah, in this. Match, yeah, yeah. So. I, I think I'll just give it, chalk it up to him being a rookie. Then Jim Ross asked the ultimate question. He said, "What was Dustin doing?" And then, and then the and then the line of the night, Jesse Ventura said he's going to miss an elbow. That's what he's going to do. Like, damn it. I mean. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sitting there like, man, what, what the hell's going on? Yeah, yeah. So, so now everybody, you know, everybody's down. Everybody's worn. Everybody's just beat the shit, man. Like, I mean, they, at this point, it, it was what going like maybe 25 minutes, and 25 minutes doesn't seem like a lot, but 25 minutes in a wrestling match of at at that pace with very right. little rest holes. And you're bleeding all, everybody's bleeding all over the place. So they're losing, you know, the God knows what had to happen to them afterwards. I'm, I, I, I used to amateur wrestle in high school. Five minutes yeah. in that kind of <laughs> match is like a lot. It's, it's like, it takes a lot out of you. It takes, so, you know, they're going 25, 30 minutes at an extreme high level. This isn't like, oh, let me put, put you in a chin lock. And we could just sit here and rest for a good two minutes or so, get catch our breath. They are active, 100%. There's no Royal Rumble hiding under the ring or going around the ring or laying under the ring ropes. These guys are all active. Everybody is doing something. Everybody is feeling pain and being slammed and choked and elbowed and it's just non-stop the whole 30 minutes that they're, they're doing this match for it's it's not a it's not an easy thing so again like five minutes in an amateur wrestling match is like you're about to lose your mind and i could just imagine what they're feeling yeah and so the 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 finish the finish comes um well before we get to the finish um because i don't want to forget this because we're almost we're almost done and i want to forget this um you mentioned japanese wrestlers what's yes. your what's your thoughts on antonio inoki who just passed away what friday right he's uh he's one of the ultimate legends uh in professional wrestling history uh the creator of new japan pro wrestling he he had that match with uh, the great Muhammad Ali, that special match, wrestler versus boxer. He's done a lot of big legendary things. He's uh, created a lot of legendary moments in professional wrestling. That's a huge, huge loss. And his contributions are amazing and legendary. I mean, you can't say enough good, but tip your hat off to a guy like that, man. He lived the life. Um He's a well-respected guy that achieved and accomplished uh, the biggest heights that you can in the sport of wrestling, whether in America or whether anywhere in the world. So uh, hats off to him. Rest in peace, uh, the great Antonio Noki. And, I mean, I, I echo those sentiments because I, did, I didn't know too much about him outside of, you know, um, Ric Flair having matches with him. And... What I do like again, I mean, the God of Wrestling, Triple H, 
um, he he had the announcers announce that Anoki was at one time unofficial WWF champion. For, right. for years, they would never mention that. Even at his own, even at his hall of, at, at his Hall of Fame um, induction, they never mentioned it because they didn't right. they didn't want to they didn't want to break into the into Bob Backlund's what five year reign or whatever. It was just like silly stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the more I think about it, I'm like, man, Vince McMahon, he. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to get you started on Vince, but well, oh my god! <laughs> but man, he he did he just did a lot of stupid things, and he did so many dumb things that I, I hope Triple H doesn't burn himself out trying to fix everything right away. Like even the stupidness of of, of taking the wrestler's name, like right, like, you know, like if, if a guy's name was was. Just say Antonio Cesaro. No, let's just call him Cesaro. All right. I'm right. Like, like, why? Just so they could market the name. It's it, it, I, I don't I don't know, man. I, I think sometimes the, the man they call Vader. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Mastodon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they messed him up. Oh my goodness, man. I can't wait. See, we can we need to be see we need to be taking notes on this so we could think about like who did w, who 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 wasn't WWF champ who needed to be? Who did WWF completely fumble? Yep. They had, I mean, Vader, where they messed up with Vader is they didn't let him beat Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam. Well, they, they made him job to Shawn Michaels. Well, that, ridiculous. well, yeah, he, I mean, if you call it a job, I mean, it was a competitive match, but he should have won. He should have won. Highlights. The highlights that I see, and specifically, there's a moment where I guess Shawn Michaels is upset with Vader. And he kicked him in the uh, head. For not doing some spot or whatever that yeah. he wanted. So he got kicked him in the head when he was down. And then he he, he bent over and, and, and yelled at him. Yeah. Like he's a little kid. Vader eats you for breakfast, dude. Like, come on. <laughs> and he took. Like, he, 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 <laughs> Vader eats more pounds of food in a day than he weighs. <laughs> what, what are you talking about, dude? I, I think they say that that's where they called the audible like because Shawn michaels went to the back bitching and complaining and it was just like all right we're not and, and, and again Shawn michaels this is the guy from the rockers the rockers lost every if you go back and watch like matches from 1990 and 91 and watch the rockers they don't win nothing and they they get their asses handed to them by orient express demolition just anybody the bushwhackers would beat them for god's sake they never did anything. And then he becomes single by betraying Marty Jannetty, who I got his autograph. Um, ironically, um, during this weekend, um, WCW Wrestle War 92, Wrestle War 92 was on a sun, was on the Sunday. Uh, that Saturday, um, there was a wrestling show and, um, I got the, uh, I got uh, to see Marty Jannetty, um, wrestle some guy. And then at the end of the match, uh, he gave uh, autographs. I got his autograph, hmm. and um, Hercules was at the was at the event as well. So um, he wrestled. We saw him wrestle. We thought nothing of it. And then um, Wrestle War happened, and there was a debut of a wrestler called the Super Invader. So 
at Wrestle 192, which is Sunday, Super Invader Wrestle. And that was in Jacksonville. We lived in Fort Lauderdale, and we saw Hercules wrestle. So we read in a, in a wrestling magazine that the Super Invader is Hercules. And Johnny, I remember Johnny was saying, yeah, that makes sense. He could have took the drive yeah, right yeah. after the event and went up to Jacksonville and been there for WCW Wrestle War. I just thought that was, that was so ironic because I just was thinking about that. And un <laughs> But uh, yeah, Shawn Michaels, he acts like he runs the W <laughs> At that time, he, like, he ran the WWF and like he was like God to them. I mean, he became a singles wrestler in 93. And by 96, he became their champion. But he acted like everything revolved around him. He didn't do anything. He really didn't do anything. Very. So his, his attitude sucks. He he was better when he came back after the injury, after in 2001. 2002. Yeah. He, he yeah. Was, I, I give him every credit in the world. And I like that. I like yeah. his redemption yeah. there. Yeah. But he was a real damn jerk yeah. in the yeah. 90s. Yeah, in the 90s he was. Yeah, and, and very unpopular opinion. Marty Jannetty was better than him. Yeah, yeah. I always <laughs> I mean, liked Marty Jannetty better. I always liked him better. I think what messed Marty Jannetty up was that damn rocker dropper where they broke that guy's neck. Was it Chuck Austin? Oh, Lord. Did you watch that video? <sighs> no. Oh, just, <laughs> just YouTube Marty Jannetty rocker dropper. Oh, jeez. Wow. It, it's awful. And ever since then, they just his career was never, never the same. See how we... See how we just get off track like that? <laughs> but, um, that is, it's a necessary <laughs> evil, I guess. <laughs> so, and and ironically, we were gonna. So, just to let you guys in, we were gonna do a. Um, we were gonna parallel this show, this match, to the first Hell in a Cell match in 1997 with guess who? Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker, but. At one, once I watched the 92 um, War Games, I said, nah, I got too many notes for this. I, there's no way we'd be able to do that. So hopefully we get to the Hell in a Cell match um, on its own separate show. But the difference between what I, what I like about the War Games more, see, Hell in a Cell, the concept was cool at the beginning, but the cage is too damn big. Well, that 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 cage is is a copy of uh, the Thunderdome from WCW, Halloween Havoc '89. That's what that is. Oh, they they sat back, watch that. Were they, like, were they okay. electrocuted a guy? <laughs> well, it has electric. No, 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 no. That's that's a different one. But it's the same idea. It is a Thunderdome, the same cage. But yeah, that that old electrified crap with the the chair in '91 Halloween Havoc. That was horrible, but. Yeah, we're not gonna remember that one. Oh, you mean you mean the one that um that Ron Simmons and, with, with with Muda and Terry and Funk where the where the top and, was supposed right. to be electric. It, it was because there was there was even a little fire that that went off on the top of the ring. Then you could see one of the maintenance guys trying to fix it. Oh boy! So it was electrified on the top, but then I guess it stopped because Muda got up there and he was able to, after the fire was taken out. Muda was able to go up there and then top. He didn't get electrified at that point. What, what but we, yeah, it's supposed to be like I mean, they, the gimmicks go crazy for <laughs> yeah. a while, but what are we doing? But the here? match was good. But but the hell in the Ziggler's and the the war games. I love the war games so much because the cage is so small. It just and that's why I love WCW's cage matches. I just all around better um, because the cage was right up on the ring. The cage was yeah. a part of the ring apron versus WWF. Right. Unless it's the big blue, their cage, their cages are outside of the, of the ring, so you can go outside. Right. I don't like that. You have to go outside to use a cage. Versus WCW, you stay your ass right in that ring, 
and you use it, and they have a ceiling on it. Right, because yeah, going back to what you had mentioned with um, the WWE's or NXT's war games, there was no top cage. Yeah, there was no lid on the cage. Well, well you know why? Kind of, you you huh? know why? You know why though, right? Because they wanted they, they wanted, wanted to do high flying. Yeah, they want to jump off the top of the cage. Yeah, that's that's like TNA. That's what TNA does. They had no roof on theirs and. They could walk the top of the cage. Yeah, if you want to do that, then you do that. But don't call it war games. You know what I mean? War games is war games. It has to have that lid so nobody can get in, nobody can get out. That's the whole point of it. So you got to you gotta be creative and make your spots with the materials that you're given. You can't alter. the Every time somebody alters war games, it always doesn't come off how it should. And it was really bad in 98's. WCW 98 uh, war games when they changed the rules to accommodate certain participants like Roddy Piper and whatnot. Is uh, war games is a brutal ass match. I don't think some of these guys can handle that. The I, I will give the the NXT war games are very good though, but in their own respect, they're not. You can't right. you can't I, compare I them to that. WCW. You can't. Right, I, I agree with that. I, I watched them and I was I was really impressed with with that. But I just did not like the the no lid, the no yeah. top ceiling yeah. on yeah, that. that. I just don't, that's not war games to me. If if you have that, that's another match. And and I I, I love the shark cage aspect where they have them out in the cages. You know, and then they release them at random. So I like, yeah, stuff like that. I like, but yeah, I agree. War games, war to me. When I hear war games, put a damn lid on it. Yep. Because I and it's final. So it's like if 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 I beat you in here, you're putting two dogs in the cage. The only the bit the strongest is going to survive, and that's it. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. That's that's how it is. Yeah, so, there's no there's no fun in games with war games. It's like when you hear war games, you're like, okay, this is serious now. This isn't midgets fighting, or this isn't like um, a brawn panty match. This is real, like life and death. That's how the feeling is. It's like, well, I remember when we were going into it. Like by '91, that started the tradition um, of having it on pay per view again because it was missing for a few years. In WCW, and then it came back in '91 at Wrestle War, which made sense. And that '91 brutal too. It was that was another really good match. The only downfall to that match was it was only eight instead of uh, ten uh, participants. But other than that, yeah, again, that great War Games there as well with the Steiner Brothers. You know, if you have the Steiner Brothers, you know you what you're gonna get with them. <laughs> And Sid Vicious and Flair and Sting, Flying Bryant, so Barry Windham. It was a lot of good in that '91 War Games as well, and then '92 just like blew it out the water. Uh, I, I still remember ordering the pay per view. I remember watching WCW main event on Sunday. I remember watching um, WCW Saturday Night and all the anticipation building up to it. I remember watching the pre-show on pay-per-view 30 minutes before the event started and recording it on my VHS and just, w- just laying back, just watching the, the whole event play out. It was just great. It was a spectacular event with a spectacular, a spectacular showing. Um, and they did not disappoint. Everybody in there gave their all. And, you know, you, you see the image of... Nikita Koloff slamming Steve Austin's face into the turnbuckle repeatedly, and you just see nothing but blood on the turnbuckle. It's just, it, it's no, it, it just feels like 
all the grudges and all the tension all year long that had been going on, you knew that this was the ultimate battleground where everything would be settled. So, well, <laughs> we added that big detour. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> we, we get we get to the end of the match. So, yeah. all right. So now, admittedly, I didn't I didn't understand the setup. Once I saw what they were doing, I'm like, oh, okay, that's what they were doing. I thought it was cool. I watched this match again mm-hmm. about a week ago to get prepared for this show. And like I said, I watch this, sh- this match a lot because it's my favorite. The more I watch this match, I'm going to tell you before I recap this finish, I did not like the finish. Why not? So let's get to the finish. So the finish came as Bobby Eaton grabbed the steel hook. So they had this big ass steel hook laying on the um on the apron. And he held it like a baseball bat. So first of all, now he's sitting there winding up. If you're gonna hit somebody with a weapon, just hit him with the damn weapon. He's sitting there winding it up like he's a, a like a, he's on the pitching mound. So Larry so now here goes the goofball Larry Zabisco. He comes over. He wants he wants to do the honors. So now they're just pushing each other back and forth. Um, Zabisco, Zabisco grabs the hook from, from Eaton, pushes Eaton. So now Eaton grabs Sting from behind and, and holds Sting up. Mm-hmm. So now Zabisco's winding it up again. Now Eaton just winded it up for a minute. Now why did he have to wind it up? So he's winding it up and, um, and he, and he cranks back and bomb. So his intent was to hit Sting with it. Um, he ended up hitting Bobby Eaton because Sting moved out of the way. Sting chops him on his on the back of his neck. He chopped the shit out of him. He chopped him hard. <laughs> so, so Zabisco goes flying, and Sting immediately applies an arm bar. So yep. the only reason I didn't like the finish, I think, I don't think that was final enough. Like, and I, 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 I so well, you, you don't think that a guy getting hit with hard steel and then an arm bar applied to that same arm he got hit on wasn't a good enough way for that to finish and and, and the guy quit or submit you know why because you put me in an arm bar before yeah the arm bar doesn't affect the part that was hit you can't no you can't you can't no 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 yes when when i was watching that then i'm like okay cool but now i'm like yeah i would have done something else i me personally i would have used it as a neck crank or something and tried to choke him out that's just like that would have just been the finality of it that's how i would have ended it i Mm. just i just didn't i think the ending fell flat for me and 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 that's what it just like looking at it again and i'm watching everything that they did in this match i'm watching the brutality for 30 plus minutes i mean these guys beat the shit out of one another and the and and by the way the last guy to come in was the one who submitted so maybe if it was austin or something who was already laying over there half dead if it was Austin, then I could have been like, you know what? He was so fatigued, he just had to give up. And Eaton gave up so quick, too. It was just like, it's just, it's just like when I play all this back, I'm just looking like, huh. 
it just to me it just fell flat. Just just the fact that he was the last one in and he he quit yeah, but, so but, fast and it was just I don't know. But, but 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 think about it for a second though. So he's the last one in. That's fine. But whether you're fresh or fatigued, if you get hit with an object that's going to injure you, and then you get a um, even if it's not the direct part of the arm, it's still the arm. So you're feeling the pain from the hit, plus you're feeling additional pain from the move that being applied to the same general area. Of course you're going to submit. Whether you you wrestled one minute or a hundred minutes, you're going to you're gonna be like, because it's not about fatigue. You're not giving up because you're so tired. You're giving up because of the pain that you're being put into. And that's the whole objective of it is to apply that pain so i'm look you know i i saw i saw it many times played over and over you could see sting how he applied the arm bar and then his hand the palm of his hand is right in the same area that he that he got hit like right in the mid bicep to, almost the top of the bicep area uh, of his arm i mean, i mean i don't know if some if i got hit in my my shoulder by some piece of metal and then somebody put me in some move that affects that same part that's injured i'm gonna i'm gonna be kind of messed up was it know. was it the shoulder or was it um more so on the face of the arm like i i had to go back and look at that and see exactly where the blow was i just i i think too i, I to me it would have been to, to me it would have been better off if austin was the one because those guys had given so much like i could just see austin just being like you know what i'm done I'm, I'm dead. I mean, Just... well, he went through so much hell. He got thrown over like he wasn't worth a damn by Sting. Sting, Sting <laughs> just threw him over, and he just landed on the cage, just scraping him with the edges. My God. And then the, the noise that uh, Jim Ross made, oh! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you you can't you can't um you can't just underplay what what Jim Ross brings to these type of matches, but oh, oh, great. overall great. overall though I give this match ten stars. This this is my favorite War Games match, and I love all the earlier ones. 1990, oh. 1990 was 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 really good. That's the one with Sid Vicious, right? Yeah, that was really, 1991. Yeah. 91. That was really good, but for for other reasons, just like the I'm a killer guy effect. <laughs> the ones with the Road Warriors and Dusty Rose, the original ones, those were tremendous. But to me, storytelling, um, this had everything. Storytelling, technical wrestling, like spots that made sense by by everyone not named Dustin Rhodes. Um, right. It was just like <laughs> everything, even from the, oh, Put an emphasis in commentary. Hey, Barry Windham's fists are taped. Those are lethal weapons. So what does Bobby Eaton do? Hey, you know what? Tape my fist too. Uh-huh. It's like every like the little intricate details that they went through was. It's, it was amazing. This is ten stars. This this has yeah. got to be, and I had I have like favorite matches that I rate for different reasons. But this is like one of my this I has to be like top ten, like in the top five of mm-hmm. my favorite because I can't think of I can't I don't think I could think of four other matches better than this. I mean, I I just, I can't. I mean, I, I put the 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 first hell in the cell very high, but it wasn't better than this. Right. Like I right. I I just can't. 
I mean, and I mean, what you're gonna give Undertaker Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania? Like that was the best Mania match ever. But gee, I, I mean, <laughs> this match was tremendous. I give it ten stars. Like what? <laughs> and and what I love too. This is what I love. Again, mm-hmm. they sold at the end. So now the Dangerous Alliance. Now Paul Lee comes in the ring and he's pissed. Oh yeah, he he. They want they want all beat up Larry Zabisco, and he's like, I yep. didn't I didn't do anything, I didn't do anything, you know. And and, and the thing <laughs> is, leading leading into the match, there were issues with Zabisco messing up before, so this was like the latest in a string of things that were that were mishaps by Zabisco that cost matches. You know, he would mess up and they would lose a match here and there, so. You know, Zabisco was already getting under the skin of the whole group, and um, this just really put it forward. You could hear Bobby Eaton after he gave up saying, "Good God, Zabisco!" Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. you know. So, and then he's like, "I didn't, I didn't, he's just like yelling." I and I, I, I love where Paul Lee tried to hit him twice in the head with the phone, like, and then he turned around yeah, and catch yeah, him. Yeah, but then he told, uh, he, he's like pointing at Ravishing Rick Rude to get in front of him because uh, Zabisco was coming after Paul Lee. But what what I love too is like the 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 final the final shot of the 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 faces, like walk they walk back up the ramp, battered and beaten. They were. Yeah, Jim Ross said you couldn't. <laughs> at the end of the match, you may not be able to see who are the winners and the losers. They won't be able to tell. They weren't rejoicing. They weren't pointing at their belts. They weren't pointing at the fans and slapping hands. They weren't. They weren't posing yeah. and doing muscles, biceps, and all this other nonsense. Like these guys, were a guy walking. that wears yellow and red, but whatever. <laughs> these guys were walking slow up the ramp. Slow and, as hell. And I think I, who was it being helped out? They helped um think Dustin Rhodes got help. Or Barry Wyndham, one of them, one of the yeah, one or two blondes were getting yeah, helped. Were bleeding. Yeah, we're, were getting bleeding we're getting helped. And it this match just had everything, man. This, <laughs> oh, I'm 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 uh I'm looking at the video. Uh yeah, it was a little it was uh lower than I, I thought here. So I'm looking at the Bisco hidden eating. And it shows it like just slightly above the elbow area. So um, Sting, when he applied it, it was more up to the top of uh, the top of the bicep. But he's hitting him lower. But again, even even with that, I'm just saying, if you're feeling pain there, and then a guy puts on a pressure. In the basic general area, the same. It's the arm anyway. And that's me. Just that's literally me. Just nitpicking. Just I like seriously. That's me. Just nitpicking. Just because it to me it just stood out so much, and I, I would have rather it had been Austin. Just yeah, it, it just be because to justify it yeah. Austin. But you don't need to justify it if if you got a weapon like that that you're hitting, and that's a smart ass thing. Right, Paul E is really smart. He he knows wrestling and the psychology of wrestling a lot. He had it planned out from the beginning. They come in down, they got a big ass map, and he drawing out like yeah, I areas loved, in the I side loved, of the ring. I love that man. <laughs> and yeah, and he's just telling them, okay, if this doesn't happen, then we're gonna do this. And he's like has a step before the step, and if that doesn't work out, then he has a step to take and it's just smart and like the announcers like Jim Ross is like discounting what he's saying but ultimately if it's true Jim Ross said it if he would have hit Sting there's a great chance that Sting would have had to have submitted 
Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was storytelling. You can't, you can't, um, you can't get around it. I, I think it, I think it's one of the best matches, not only in WCW history but in wrestling history. Period. Since period. Yeah, since, period. since I've been watching you, it, you don't see these things in any other organization. And the match, even after all these years, I mean, you have AEW doing blood and guts, which is War Games. That's a copy of War Games. TNA. You know, they did their own version of War Games. I forgot what they call it. It's some other name. Lethal Lockdown. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I don't even think that's two rings. I don't even think that was two rings. I think that was just one ring. So, um, yeah, everybody has their own copied version of it. WWE as well. And they, you know, Eric Bischoff created the Elimination Chamber. Uh, which is, you know, something they wanted to do in the spirit of war games. So, I mean, everybody trying to do this thing that Dusty Rose did. Dusty Rose was just a brilliant man that just had a very creative mind. He would do the crazy stuff, too. I mean, the infamous Dusty finishes, which are notorious for having countouts and disqualifications to end big matches. They're and that would be a dusty it. finish where you would you would get to see what you want to see, but you don't get to see what you want to see. So it's an excuse to not make the title change or whatever. And that, that those are called dusty finishes because it's it was just a way to cop out. They're still doing <laughs> it. They're still doing it to this day. Right, right. But Dusty Rose, man, he made war games. He made the Great American Bash. You know, he he did so many innovative, creative events on top of being one of the greatest world champions of all time. And to be straightforward, like WWF had Dusty Rhodes in 1990 and I think a little bit of 91. And we had to go through that horrible WrestleMania 7. Not that, you know, WrestleMania 8 was trash. But WrestleMania 7 was just horrible outside of maybe the, macho, the Legion of Doom. Macho Man and Macho Man, and, macho and, man Ultimate and, Warrior. And, and Ultimate Warrior, which was the match of the night. The guy that they keep saying is inept and can't work Ultimate Warrior. For some reason, he keeps being in these great matches. That was all Macho remember. Man. Don't do not do that. That was all Macho no, Man. No, I'm just saying. Macho Man, he's the general. <laughs> he's the leader, right? He's orchestrating. But of course... But you can do that. Macho Man has worked matches that didn't come out good. But when Warriors with good people, it comes out good. So you have to give Warrior credit, just like you have to give Lex Luger credit. When he works with Ric Flair, when he works with Steve Moat, when he works with other great wrestlers, you can't just say, well, that great wrestler carried that match. I mean, Luger has something to do with it. So is Ultimate Warrior. And they need to get their credit. They can't be trash, but then they're in these great matches that you remember fondly. Uh, but, you know, we wasted our time having in WWF Dusty Rhodes, and we didn't use him. And ultimately, what should he have been used for? He should have been in the main event to WrestleMania 7 against Hulk Hogan for the title. Now you have Hulk Hogan, the American, the real American hero for WWF, and then you have the American dream from the NWA. And we could have had Hogan versus Dusty in 91 and we could have had rick flair versus hogan in 92 and that would have been epic and you can't tell me that that wouldn't have built wrestlemania up a little bit i would have bring the profile up a little bit but wrestlemania is like you know it's this big event and they push it as more like you know we all know about they push the event not not they push the event as being more than what it really is like wrestlemania 3 oh we did ninety three thousand. no you didn't 
me and hey, me and me and you could headline that that card and it would still sell. It's it's the right, main. but they didn't do ninety three. I mean, I mean, I mean, they they didn't do that much. They they did. It was like really seventy something. Well, who, that, but they, who, they are, they, are you they listening counted, to Meltzer? Huh? Are you listening to Meltzer? No, I'm saying they <laughs> counted. They counted the 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 craft services people. They counted the announcers. They counted the ring people. They counted all those people, and they pushed the numbers, inflated the number to make it look like it was more. I've always heard that. Well, the number, the, the, the number, the number is part of the work, though. I I doubt it. I doubt it was ninety three thousand, but that place that place was packed. It was packed, I mean, and, and yeah, right. it's nothing to be. It's, I mean, come on, seventy something thousand is nothing to spark at. But, but let's be real. It's the, it's the, it's the lameness of the WWF, right? Of Vince McMahon, where he kind of like, like Donald Trump, kind of like inflates things, make things seem more than what they are, because of the ego, and that's the part that I don't really care for. You know, just be real. Okay, we just did this, and then keep it moving. You know what I'm saying? But. Um, but yeah, we could have had a lot of a lot more great things to watch over the years, and that's why going back to how I'd say um, Vince Man is not good because there were moments we could have had that we couldn't have because of his ego and and him being misguided, and you would never get war games under Vince Man. It just wouldn't happen. Just like you said, with the two rings he's beefing about, oh, I could have sold S amount of tickets. Forget the tickets. It's the spectacle you want. You want to have that moment. And uh, with WCW, they were able to do things that the AWA, World Class, and all these other organizations, ECW, that were below them, they're not able to do those things. And then the WWF, who could do it, but you know they're not going to do it because they're all powerful and mighty and they have nobody to answer to because there's no real threat to them. But with WCW in those days, it was so wild and open that you just saw so many spectacular things. And that's what drove my my interest in wrestling further, way further than when I liked it with, when I was just watching WWF. When, you, when you're watching WWF, you're a casual fan. When you're watching WCW, you're like a legit fact. It's like you know that you're not influenced because I'm watching this because everybody else watching this. You saw something in it that made you want to watch. Well, you guys heard from the WWF hater, and oh lord, <laughs> and my. I can't I can't believe it, man. We're almost up on two hours already. Let it let it be, man. Yeah, my my, my my clock is winding down, man. But I listen, listen, man. Ever since we decided to start doing this wrestling stuff, I I'm I'm hearing from people who I didn't even know watched the show. They're like, hey man, you guys, your your top your top ten list is terrible. Or you know, the guy who wants us to come on his YouTube panel, he told me that he he wants to argue just specifically on our top 10 because he just thinks it's terrible, our top five. But I, I had to let him, and I said, we would have to come on there and explain it to you because it's not based on on what you think. But I I mean, I really appreciate you coming on doing this, man. Ever since we did the 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 episode for your brother and just like everything you do for me, the, the videos and just everything, man, I... I really, really appreciate this. And I know, and I know you love this because like the passion that you get when you're doing this is like, <laughs> man, I plan, I legit plan. I'm like, man, this show can't be more than an hour. I was thinking that I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna hit record. 
We're going to review the show. A show can't be more than an hour. Here we are going on the two hour mark, man. But whatever. It's it's it, it was tremendous as always. Yeah. And and, yeah. and just to the straight talk society, we got millions of um of other shows specifically on this. So you guys be sure to check out the Silent Assassin on YouTube. Check out that YouTube page. Actually, I need to start um, linking it on my Facebook page, too. I need to go grab the link for that. Um, anything else? Uh, no, I mean, we co- we covered it up and down. Uh, it's a great show. It's a legendary show. Um, I, if I, I always feel like if I like half or a little under a half, maybe 35 45% of the show, it's a success. Um, I would say there are some, like, matches that are going through the motion but they're not terrible early on in the card i think opening a match uh opening the event with the freebirds winning the u.s title that was a good match uh the the next two to three matches were just okay but then you got into the nitty-gritty of uh tom zinc r.i.p to tom zinc who passed away also last year um versus uh brian pillman r.i.p to brian pillman who also passed away years ago uh they had a great match for the cruiserweight championship that was a really really fun um inventive match that they had um and then of course the match with the steiner brothers a hard-hitting battle uh, where that in itself was like the war games, just without the cage. Um, it was just a brutal beatdown, and the Steiner brothers uh, really took it to the Japan team. But they, but to be fair, they the Japan team, even with all the odds against them, they fought back, and it was a good match. It was a tough bare knuckle brawl, but uh, Steiner's won, and uh, the the event is just great because the war games itself, nobody can really say that it's not the best if not one of the best cage matches and definitely one of the best the best war games match that that they ever had i I think most people would agree when watching that that is the match the 1992 war games that's the match that uh is better than the rest well there you have it straight talk society i hope you've been thoroughly entertained man because I hope you guys enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoy recording it because this was tremendous and we will be back doing it again. Um, Before I go, I always like to leave you guys with these words of encouragement. Always seek out the truth for yourself, because if not, you'll fall victim to other people's interpretations of them. And with that, I say peace.